I said, hey, why am I the sixth quarterback? There's only five of us. And he was like, you know, probably shouldn't have told me this. He was a little naive. He was like, oh, oh, um, I heard them talking about this. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. They said if everyone gets hurt, they would take one of the guys on defense and move him to quarterback before they put you in. <laughs> I was like so hurt and yet so appreciative that he was honest. This podcast is presented by Visa, a network giving small businesses tools to grow. Overcoming the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small business lead their teams to victory all year long. Visa is proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help grow their businesses and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more people we can empower, the more we all win. Visa, a network giving small businesses tools to grow. Well, I'm really excited about today's episode. Uh, I have a lot of great friends from my NFL playing days, my TV days, ESPN, but maybe the most impactful relationship I made uh, in my time in football has been with a guy named Matthew Hasselback. He joins us today. That relationship is so impactful because we went through so many hard things together. We played together in Seattle. We competed. Uh, him and his family walked with our family through the loss of our son. He was really influential in my life during that time. Uh, I've coached his son. <laughs> We're still very close friends. Uh, so there's a lot of meat on this bone. It's really fun because he talks about being the son of an NFL football player, Don Hasselback. Matthew and his two brothers, Tim and Nathaniel, grew up in a football household. He talks about what football, high school football is like in Massachusetts, being a big time recruit and then going to Boston College and being the sixth on the depth chart when there's only five quarterbacks in the room. Talks about this pivotal moment in his life. It's really shaped how he's looked at competition and football and quarterbacking when he was in Kingston, Jamaica, of all places. Uh, obviously, we talk about his, his great career in Seattle and uh, how that came to fruition, getting traded from Green Bay, and then being a mentor uh, to Jake Locker and, and Andrew Luck. So, so much good stuff in this episode. He's one of the funniest people you will ever spend time with, but also one of the best people you can ever spend time with. So I hope you enjoy your time with him today. Let's get started with Matthew Hasselman. Well, I couldn't be more fired up for this episode. Um, not only will you hear great stories from Matthew Hasselback, uh, he's an incredible storyteller. His journey's amazing, but he's a dear friend. So this could go forever. So we'll try to be respectful to everybody's time uh, and not go on forever because we have a lot to talk about. Uh, Matthew, for most guests, we start with their high school career. I'm actually going to go further back for you because – I want everybody to hear what it was like growing up being the son of an NFL football player, ball boy days, like all those experiences you and your brothers had uh, growing up with your dad, Don, playing in the NFL. Yeah, it was an awesome way to grow up. Uh, I was born, my parents were married in college. My dad played in Colorado. He gets drafted to the New England Patriots. My parents were from the Midwest. They had no idea where New England was. They had to get a map and look it, look it up. Like, what state is that? Their geography was about as good as yours, Trent. You can um, tell that so, yeah. story later. I'll let you tell yeah. that story later. <laughs> but, you know, people from, like, the rest of America don't really know, like, the difference between, like, New Hampshire, Vermont, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Maine. Like, it's just, like, you know, all those little states up there. My parents were like that, you know, before they got drafted to the uh, New England Patriots, were there for about six years, got traded to the Los Angeles Raiders, won a Super Bowl with the Raiders, went to the Minnesota Vikings, awesome experience there. I had friends like Cooper and Peyton Manning, you know, their dad was on the Vikings as well. Then we uh, signed as a free agent with the New York Giants. Phil Sims is the quarterback, friends with his kids there. It was this great experience growing up in the football lifestyle. I didn't know that it was unusual like people would ask me hey what do you want to do when you grow up I would say I don't know I'll probably just play in the NFL like my dad because all my friends their dad played in the NFL as well so like I just thought it was sort of normal and it wasn't until we were done playing football so my dad had retired from football that I realized like every Saturday doesn't mean we get to go hang out with Lawrence Taylor in his locker and get his extra pair of gloves or turf shoes at the end of practice like I didn't know that was unusual um that we had that opportunity so it was probably like my junior year in high school when you're when you're not a family member of a player then you're allowed to become a ball boy and kind of work in the equipment room which sounds oh. cool but basically you're just kind of doing laundry and you know you're making very very little money and doing a lot of work but 
essentially like when I was in my high school years, junior year, senior year, I was a ball boy for the Patriots. And for me, that was when I really, really appreciated being around the coaches, being around the players, getting free Gatorade, free pre-wrap, you know, like all that kind of stuff. But that's when I really took it serious in terms of like, Hey, do you think maybe I could take this to the next level? And, um, it was just an awesome, really, really cool way to grow up around the game of football. Did that inspire you? As you know, so you say you're a junior in high school. You're uh, I'm going to say this right. Zavarian brothers. Yeah, Zavarian. All right, so I said it right. Uh, did that kind of motivate you to, like you said, now your your mindset is on being recruited and going to a big time college and playing college football because you had seen it, you'd lived it, you'd tasted it. Yeah, the funny thing about us playing football, so me and my two younger brothers, we all earned full scholarships to play college football. We all went to Boston College out of high school. My parents wouldn't let us play organized football growing up. Like, we weren't allowed to. My dad played tight end in the NFL, the old NFL, when, you know, it wasn't as safe as it is now. And it was like a car accident every Sunday. So he was in just a lot of pain every Monday, had a bunch of surgeries, all that kind of stuff. So like in our house, it was, hey, play every sport you can possibly play, but you're not playing organized football. Like, so play golf, basketball, baseball, like all these other sports. The problem is the sport that really chose us back, especially me, was football. Like basketball did not choose me back the way that football chose me back. Uh, baseball didn't even choose me back the way that I won the way that football did. So I think diversifying and playing a ton of sports my entire life was a really valuable thing for me as a quarterback. And, you know, I could go get into that for hours, but, but basically it's just kind of hysterical that football wasn't allowed to be played, you know, in an organized level until my dad was done playing. And uh, then we kind of just, you know, we just basically nagged our parents to death and they relented. Well, let's land there for a little bit because it's the perfect time to talk about multi-sport athletes and what your thoughts on them and the value from playing other sports and what you've seen now as an old guy looking back uh, on your playing days, your brother's playing days, your dad's playing days, um, your career. Uh, how much of a value was playing those other sports and how did it translate into your success as a football player? Well, it's it was tremendously helpful for me. And I see so many people try, you know, having to choose and specialize right now. Uh, you know, especially in certain sports, like, you know, there's some sports where I don't think the culture of that sport is as forgiving, like football is pretty forgiving, because people don't, for the most part, play year round football. Um, but, you know, just one quick example, never mind the sport choosing you back. I remember recruiting, getting recruited by Tom Coughlin, who was my first head coach in uh, in college at Boston College. He never once came to a football game of mine. Never, never. But he came to several of my basketball games. And I remember in the process, he mentioned why he came to my basketball games. He said he wanted to see if I made eye contact with my coach uh, during the game on the sidelines. He wanted to see if I talked back to the referees. He wanted to see about hustle and how I was on defense. If I, if I was, you know, like 100% effort kind of a guy. I mean, like, it was all these other things that he wanted to see and that he could see better watching me play basketball. I want to see how aggressive and physical I was and those kinds of, those kinds of things. And like that always stuck with me. And so it's just like maybe one example, but, but just like looking at my kids, like I've got two daughters who are already playing division one college lacrosse at Boston college, who just won the national championship last year. My oldest daughter, Annabelle, she played on these like superstar AAU basketball teams that were playing for national championships and that kind of thing. She loved basketball. Basketball did not choose her back the way that lacrosse has chosen her back. She loved basketball. If given the choice at a young age, she would have picked basketball. Got another daughter who's, you know, the other daughter playing lacrosse there. She loved hockey. She loved ice hockey. She would have chose ice hockey, possibly. Ice hockey did not choose her back the way that lacrosse has chosen her back. So I guess anecdotally, that's just our family story, but I know it to be true for us. Well, it's our family story, too. We've talked about this. I mean, my story is the same as yours. I wasn't recruited to play quarterback. I ended up going to Fresno State because the coach was coming to watch the quarterback they were recruiting, who I was playing in a basketball game against. Uh, and I played really well, scored 40 points, and that's how I got recruited to play college football. So there's so much value. I love what you talked about, Coach Coughlin, talking about eye contact, the kind of teammate you were, your effort, your energy. 
a lot of why we're doing this show, Matthew, is and we really haven't talked about this pod very much, is there's great shows on TV, right? You're part of the best one. They're going to talk about all the things going on in football right now. And there's an appetite for that, obviously. I want to talk about all the other stuff. And there's a lot of people that watch this that want to learn from this pod. And they need to hear those type of experiences because that message has been lost. You know, this multi-sport athlete, the value of being the seventh guy on the basketball team, being the pinch runner on the baseball team, you're not the star in your other sport. What kind of teammate are you? I mean, those every mm-hmm. Hall of Famer we talked to, uh, in season one talked about the value of playing another sport. So if every th- single hall of fame quarterback talks about it, Alex Smith talks about it. You talk about it. Uh, it obviously matters. And I want those people to understand it. And by the way, I'm going to give you a big chunk of time because it's so dear to my heart as we get through the show to brag on your kids. Um, they're incredible athletes, but they're better people. Uh, and we'll talk about the best athlete in the family, your wife, Sarah. So we'll definitely <laughs> get to that. Now, tell me this. What what was a Friday night light like in Boston playing high school football as Varian Brothers? Like, what, what was the atmosphere? Is it a big deal? Um, and then we'll get into what was your first start like, your first touchdown pass. Like, just I'll tee you up. You go. Talk to me about your first Friday night experience where you threw a touchdown pass and and uh, what that was like in, at Severian. Yeah, I wish I could say Friday Night Lights was like the big thing for my high school experience, but my high school didn't have lights, so we couldn't (laughs) play on Friday nights, and so we played on Saturdays, and so like, you know, I think like most kids, Friday night football, and then afterwards socialize, you have Friday night and Saturday night, well for us, the captains would call our house, um, probably like 8 o'clock, and make sure everyone was at home, and not going out, getting to bed early, and so Friday night was out socially, and then our games were Saturday afternoons. And so, you know, usually kind of somewhere far away. So like socially, it wasn't it wasn't a great atmosphere. It was, um, it was nothing like I saw in the movies, I guess is what I should say. <laughs> and so it was a thrill to play high school football here for sure. But um, I had no idea what real, you know, energy in high school stadiums looked like until basically until I was an adult and or saw movies about it. You know, I remember watching, remember the Titans being like, Oh, that's a, that's a great movie, but that's not really what it's like. You know, that's not what high school football is really like, but it is. I remember my first tailgate ever was actually like, cause I had, I was playing football was at a high school football game in Nashville, Tennessee. And these, these friends of mine invited me to a tailgate and I'm like, Oh, yeah, never done that before. Like, sure. You know, and, and it was like so much fun. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. Like, I understand. But that wasn't even a pro game or a college game. That was just for a high school game. And it was uh, it was really, really neat. And so I've enjoyed Friday night football. It's something that our family has done for fun. But um, if you don't have lights, it's tough to have those games. <laughs> when uh, were you a junior, your first touchdown pass as a varsity So starter? I was probably a sophomore. I was not the starting quarterback as a sophomore. But uh, but I did get to play, played for a good, really good program up here in Boston. And, um, you know, so basically we were one of those teams where we got like stickers on our helmet, you know, for a good play. And I was a starting holder. I really felt like, hey, for me to get a letter, for me to get a sticker on my helmet, my best chance is to be the starting holder for field goals. And uh, I had two really good holds that year. Uh, sort of bad snaps and I got a sticker for both of those holds one was a game-winning kick and then I believe I had either a fire call and a fake or, or maybe two fakes or something like that on two-point conversions that I got stickers on my helmet but it was basically my first touchdowns came in kind of like mop-up duty when we were already beating somebody pretty bad um, so it was a little bit like I'm sure my parents were cheering but I'm not sure how excited everyone around me was it wasn't uh it wasn't a Hollywood type uh, touchdown pass <laughs> Now, how many grades behind uh, are, is Tim? Yeah, so I, when I was a senior, my brother Tim was a freshman. And in okay. the history of my high school, I don't know of any freshman that ever played varsity. But Tim was an amazing athlete in yeah. high school, like one of the best that my school's ever seen. And he played varsity as a freshman. He essentially was my backup quarterback. But we were playing a game down in Connecticut, played a lot of -of out-of-state games. And they put him in at wide receiver because he was that good of an athlete just so I could throw him a pass. It was just like a three-step game, you know, three-step drop type thing. But he breaks a tackle and makes somebody miss and goes for a bunch of yards. So it was fun to play with him. He was – it was good to have him around. And, uh, again, as my backup – 
you know, it's an interesting dynamic when you're sort of competing with your brother who you love so much, but yet also like that comp that, that kind of that creative tension when you're competing with somebody makes you both better. And, uh, and we're very different styles of players too, but it was, it was certainly fun. I delivered as a parent, Maddie and Tori, um, went through that as volleyball players. So I, I get it as a parent, it was torturous at times. Uh, so we're going to get into your recruiting journey, but how your junior year, what was your height and weight? Like, what did you look like? Cause right now, what are you sit? You're, you're a quarter of an yeah, inch shorter I, than me. Let's just make sure we get that clear. Yeah. Well, we know I'm that's exactly six, four, you're six, three and seven, eight. That, that's not true. No. <laughs> so many, listen, like I'm, I'm six, four, I'm probably six, four, two forty. I probably played at six, four, two thirty six in the NFL in high school. I probably was 6'3", 175. I mean, I was so skinny. I remember when I got to Boston College, I would wear two pairs of socks, turn the showers on, get my socks soaking wet, and then go weigh in just to get like a couple extra pounds because I was so embarrassed about how light I was. But no, my, my recruiting journey was really great. I had this um, I had this sort of reputation as someone with a ton of potential, which really meant I had never done anything <laughs> like really about, I was just, wasn't that impressive at the time. And I had scholarship offers basically from every school in the country with, with some exceptions. Like I wanted to go to Stanford. They did not offer me. They offered my, my tailback instead. I would have considered the Florida schools. None of them came up to Massachusetts. I grew up a huge Colorado fan because my dad went to Colorado but they were just coming out of running the option. So they didn't recruit me. But other than those schools, I pretty much could pick where I wanted to go, uh, which is ironic because I was so skinny. My stats, I wasn't playing like super big time, like Texas football or something like that. And even my senior year, I think I threw seven touchdowns my senior year for the whole season. I mean, Trent, your quarterback, there was six touchdowns in a game, you know? So I threw seven the entire season. And part, part of that was, we didn't throw the ball that much. My running back was so good that every time we crossed the 50, he would probably score. But, but even still, it was just potential. I really had never done anything. I was 17 years old, my freshman year in college to start the year. And so, you know, it, it was, um, I just, I guess I wasn't a finished product. So we're going to go to our first break. When we get back, I want to hear about that time at Boston College because being a big-time recruit, going to Boston College, obviously there was some setbacks or some adversity. I love getting to that part of the journey, what you learned from that. So when we get back with Matthew Hasselbeck, we'll talk about his journey through Boston College. It's football season, baby, and you know what that means. It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through hairs has never been easier, and it's time you join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using code DIMES at manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window with all other trimmers. Now go tame that wildcat offense. The world is starting to open, and the performance package 4.0 for Manscaped is here to help you get ready. Inside, you'll find their brand new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. Boy, do I need that. Crop Reviver Toner, plus two free gifts Performance Boxer Briefs and the Shed Travel Bag. The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is the perfect package for your package and a key for a great grooming and hygiene routine to make sure the boys downstairs are smooth like Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. The brand new Lawnmower 4.0 is here to take your defense to the next level. This fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor. A new multi-function on-off switch can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Rain, snow, or sleet are no match for the waterproof power of the 4.0. This package also comes with the Weed Whacker, this elite nose and ear hair trimmer is also waterproof and uses a 9,000 RPM motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. 
This trimmer also has a proprietary skin safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code DIMES at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code DIMES. All right, Matthew. So you choose Boston College, hometown school. You go there. Uh, talk to me about kind of the shock and awe of being a college football player. Yeah, listen, I was a heavy recruit. And Tom Coughlin, like, you know, recruited me really hard, did an amazing job. I show up day one and recruiting was over. <laughs> it was over. That nice guy <laughs> version, you know, that all the like, oh, how much we love you. That was done. You know, it was. And I think Tom Coughlin even said to me day one, he was like, hey, son, recruiting's over. I was like, coach, do you have any idea where, uh, you know, where I might be living this year? You know, I'm meaning like what dorm. And he was like, yeah. Have you seen the weight room? I was like, what? <laughs> Just, it was a different experience, but uh, I was redshirted my first year. wasn't expected to play. Two quarterbacks were brought in that year. Tom Coughlin sat us both down. He said, okay, listen, whoever's better gets to stay at quarterback. The whoever's worse, we're moving you to tight end. So before our first, you know, before the bowl game, they tell me, hey, we're moving you to tight end. I was the worst of the two quarterbacks. So they moved me to tight end. The tight ends coach has me for a couple of days. And he's like, what do, you, what do you want me to do with this guy? You can't block anybody. <laughs> so they moved the for spring football. They moved the other guy to tight end and put me back at quarterback. He ended up playing a ton um, through his four years at BC. I wasn't the full-time starter until really – I guess my last year, my fourth year at BC. And uh, and that guy ended up getting drafted ahead of me as a tight end to the New York Giants. And I got drafted after him as a quarterback to the Green Bay Packers. So it was not a smooth road during college. It was definitely a journey. But uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad of how it worked out in the end. But it wasn't at all what I thought it was going to be when I left high school. Okay, well, hold on a second here. You're not the full-time starter till your fourth year? second game of my fourth year yes all right so you kind of just breeze over that right now in today's college football climate 97 percent of quarterbacks would be in the portal in that situation. <laughs> hey and you know what if anybody would have wanted me i probably would have jumped to the portal as well and i'm so glad it wasn't an option you know i i sometimes um relate my college experience and my depth chart experience to the first time I ever benched 225 pounds on a bench. I didn't have a spotter when I did it. And I, had I didn't know you no actually choice. ever benched 225. So that's really ha, interesting. Ha, ha, Keep that's going. funny. That's funny. I just Keep didn't going. <laughs> uh, No, I had no choice. I had no choice, but to get it up. It was like sink or swim. It was like, get it up or like literally that's the end of you. So I had no choice. And that's sort of what it was like for me in football. I had all these colleges recruiting me heavily. And then I go to Boston College. And then I'm literally the sixth string quarterback on a team that has five quarterbacks. I remember I remember even saying to our quality control coach, because I saw the depth chart on the board one day. That's where our quarterbacks met. I said, hey, why am I the sixth quarterback? There's only five of us. And he was like, you know, probably shouldn't have told me this. He was a little naive. He was like, oh, oh, um, I heard them talking about this. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. They said if everyone gets hurt, they would take one of the guys on defense and move him to quarterback before they put you in. <laughs> and I was like so hurt and yet so appreciative that he was honest. But I was, you know, I was enjoying college. I was uh, – everything kind of came easy to me in high school. Everyone would talk about potential, potential. And, you know, when I got to college, I didn't care about potential. Like they were just, it was like every day, everything you did was being evaluated, everything, especially with Tom Coughlin. So, yeah, so it was, it was a slow start to my college experience. And I would have transferred if, if someone would have, if I knew that someone would have taken me, I just didn't think anybody wanted me. And so my, my, really, my thought was you have a no choice, but to figure out a way to make it work here. All right, well, let's get into that. Who was your first start against and what were some of the tools you used to figure it out? Because somebody's going through what you're going through right now that's yeah. going to watch this show. So, yeah, this is not. Who was your first start against and how did you figure it out? Well, let me start by saying this. I didn't figure it out by doing better at football. That's not how I figured it out. The irony is what I decided to do at the time, I was like, oh, shoot. Well, maybe I stink. Maybe I'm just terrible. Maybe they're right. 
you know, or maybe they don't like me. And so I decided to really dive into school and other activities, volunteered my time. I was serving other people. I grew up with great parents and a, and a great church. And, and I was, I was brought up right. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, I was still very, very immature on the football field. And so I plugged into other areas of what Boston College had to offer. And one of the things I did is I volunteered in a uh, kind of a, a service trip where we worked with victims of leprosy in the country of Jamaica. And we worked in the slums in Kingston, Jamaica, and we worked with orphans and we, um, we were serving basically. And I got sick with hepatitis A on that trip. And it was down there on that trip that I, I came across a man with leprosy who was so disfigured and disformed that he was hard to look at without actually getting visibly sick, you know, like you sick to your stomach. He had no eyes, no nose, no ears, no fingers. He was so disfigured. And I remember sitting next to him in this uh, kind of his nursing home, if you will, for victims of leprosy. And he's playing the harmonica somehow. And we're singing hymns. And in between each song, he's saying, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for blessing my life. Thank you, Lord. And I'm sitting there like, how on earth is this guy so happy? How on earth does he have the peace that he has? And like, you know, my time growing up at that point, I wanted to be like John Elway or Joe Montana or Brett Favre, or like some of those guys. And I remember in that moment in the, the slums of Kingston, Jamaica at a home for victims of leprosy, I remember sitting next to this man that when I first met him, I couldn't even hardly look at him. And then I remember sitting next to him and saying like, wow, I wish I had what he had. And, and he became my role model in a, in, a, in a sense. And fast forward, I come back from Jamaica. I contract hepatitis A while I'm down there. I miss spring football. It, it was a kind of a disaster, but I was better and I was different. And I realized that I was going to make the most of my God-given ability and everything that I could do. I was going to stop making excuses for why this coach didn't like me or that coach didn't like me. I mentioned I went there to Boston College because of Tom Coughlin. He was gone after my freshman year. I had a new head coach at all these different position coaches. There was all this adversity that, you know, maybe came my way. But so what? I needed to look at me. What could I do differently? Like, was I the kind of person that worked out or trained or, or uh gave a certain amount of effort when coaches and teammates were watching and then a different amount of effort when I was by myself training or working out. And the answer was, yes, I, I was different. It was like, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about maximizing my God-given ability. I was more concerned with, well, what's the situation? What's the climate that I'm in? Who am I with? And so I changed as a person, which really changed who I was as a football player. And so with all that being said, my first start was against Army. It was in the rain, but I'll just tell you this. We were supposed to beat Army that day, and it was 42-0 Army at halftime. <laughs> we ended up losing 42-7, to and my first start was, uh, yeah, there was no success in that first start at all. Wow. I love that. You know, you never told me that story. I've never, I never knew that that was kind of a pivotal moment. Uh, when you got sick in Jamaica, came back and just decided that you're going to become more process driven on chasing your best and your God given potential. And there's great freedom in that. Uh, so much that not everybody knows this, but Boston College ended up naming their college stadium after Matthew. Uh, well, when uh, I graduated. Look, <laughs> when you graduated, yes. When you graduated, you can look that up if you're confused. Uh, we're going to go to our second break. When we come back, Matthew has an epic pre-draft story he will share with us, uh, as well as we'll get into his illustrious NFL career and some of the cool things that his life uh, has given him after football. So we'll be right back. Beyond the X's and O's is brought to you by State Farm. Just like State Farm offers surprisingly great rates for your car insurance, I want to share with you a surprisingly great moment from my career. It actually goes back to training camp of 2000, my first year at the Baltimore Ravens, my only year at the Baltimore Ravens. Brandon Stokely was a young receiver trying to make the team. He was going to get cut. Brandon and I had developed a really nice rapport in training camp, as had the other quarterbacks. Uh, I went into the front office and the, and the coaching staff and really fought hard to keep them. And I had developed a respect from the coaching staff and the front office, so they listened. Uh, I said, listen, this kid can bring us something we don't have. Uh, he's a guy that can play inside in the slot. He's a long strider. He can get open versus tight coverage. He can read zones. He's going to be a monster on third down in the red zone. Well, sure enough, they keep him. And Brandon Stokely catches the first touchdown 
in Super Bowl 35 from yours truly. And that's why I love the journey of the quarterback. There's so many surprisingly great lessons to be learned from this unique position. And remember, whether you're a Super Bowl winning quarterback or an armchair QB relaxing happily at home, State Farm provides coverage that meets your needs at a price that fits your budget. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, back with Matthew Hasselbeck. Uh, I'm going to give him the greatest lead ever. Pro Day, Sean Payton, Andy Reid, go. <laughs> well, listen, I didn't have an illustrious college career. I was not invited to the NFL Combine. Kind of got uninvited in a sense because, you know, juniors come out and sometimes seniors get bumped. So I wasn't invited. Yeah. And so I had an agent at the time and he was like, hey, no sweat, no sweat. We'll just hold a pro day. We'll invite all the teams and they'll come work you out. It'll be a private workout. I'm like, oh, yeah, what a great idea. Well, one guy shows up for my pro day. One. That's it. One guy. And that was uh, Andy Reid, the quarterback coach for the Green Bay Packers. There was another guy named Sean Payton, who's the quarterback coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. He was like, hey, I really like you. Can we come have lunch? I don't have time to come to your workout, but uh, I'll come some other day and we'll just have lunch. So that was it. So I, mean, I was super demoralized about that. So anyway, I do have this one guy from the Green Bay Packers, though, Andy Reid. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of him. He went on to coach somewhere else after Green Bay. But he shows up for my workout and Boston College at the time did not have an indoor facility. And he shows up and there's two feet of snow outside. Like it was shocking that he even was able to land in Boston. So he shows up and he's like, and I've been training so hard for this. He's like, hey, you want to go outside and work out in the snow? And I was like, yeah, coach, let's go. And he was like, like, that was no, that was a test. I just wanted to know that you'd be willing to go outside. I'm not going out there in that. <laughs> He's like, but you know, I coach for Green Bay, so I need to just know that you'd be willing to play in weather like that. And so I was kind of like super disappointed. Uh, so we we just had a meeting. Basically, we got up on a grease board. We talked football, and uh, that I learned a lot in that meeting. It was a great meeting, and I think we hit it off. And I think I was someone that he would want to coach. It's kind of how he thought about it at the end, but didn't throw one pass, was training for it, was working out for it, didn't run 140, didn't do anything. And uh, I just thought I was never going to get drafted. And sure enough, with pick 187 in the sixth round, the Green Bay Packers drafted me and I was completely shocked. I mean, I was, I thought when it happened, I actually thought Mike Holmgren, Andy Reid, Ron Wolf, they don't know anything about football. Like they're drafting me. They didn't need to draft me. I'm not good enough to play didn't even have a great college career. Like, why would they pick me? Um, but I'm super glad that they did. You're very self-deprecating. It's one of the charming things about you. You have a great sense of humor. But did you really think that? Like, was your self-talk that way? Were you lacking confidence? Were you shocked that uh, you, you got drafted? <laughs> Trent, Trent, look up the numbers. I threw more interceptions in college than, than touchdowns. I never played in a bowl game as the starting quarterback. I like literally had three head coaches and five position coaches. Like there was nothing impressive. Didn't wasn't invited to the combine. Like what, what, what was it? You know, Andy Reed had, had coached in Missouri with this guy named Dirk Cutter, who was my quarterback coach for a little while. And they had just happened to have a conversation on the phone while Andy was evaluating the quarterbacks. And this was the draft of Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf, Brian Greasy. And, um, Andy Reid said to Dirk Cutter, hey, who do you like in this draft? And he was like, hey, I don't know, but you should check out this guy Hasselbeck. And he's like, uh, I think he's like number 23 on my list or something like that. He's like, listen, I coached him. I think you should check him out. Like, I really think you should check him out. Andy Reid pops in my tape, likes enough of my tape to come visit me. And then there, we had a great meeting. We had a great meeting. But yeah, I was shocked. And I remember even the day before the second day of the draft. Sorry, the day of day two of the draft. I remember going into my basement, my mom and my dad and I, and my dad just wanted to say like a quick prayer. He's like, let's just say a quick prayer before the draft today. And essentially the prayer was like, basically like, hey, uh, I don't know the vibe of it was kind of like, I don't want to say like, don't expect to get drafted, but it didn't <laughs> feel like we were expecting to get drafted. <laughs> but I think it actually calmed me because it was like, you know what, drafted, undrafted, if you're undrafted, Lord, you at please least get give with. Matthew peace as this day ends up becoming miserable for him. Let him see Pretty his much. identity, not in his draft status, but in his identity in you. 
It was a little bolder than that, okay? And it was definitely <laughs> bolder than that. But let me just say this. Even when I did get drafted, so I'm in I'm in the graduate school. I'm in the business school. I'm in getting my MBA. I'm 11 classes in out of 21, I think it was. And I remember when I got drafted and I was like, well, shoot, they've got these mini camps, but the mini camp is like during this big part of finals or something like that. I remember going to one of my professors and saying like, hey, what do you think I should do? I know I'm not going to make this team you know, what should I do? Like, I wasn't going to go or something. And the teacher was like, the professor was like, are you kidding me? Go to the NFL, idiot. Like, what are you talking about? You can come back and do this anytime, you know? So, but like the fact that I would even have that conversation and I remember leaving his office being like, well, you know what? I'll go there. I'll probably get some cool Green Bay Packers shorts. Like maybe even with my number in them. I'll show them to my grandkids someday. Be like, no, for real, like, I was in training camp with Brett Favre and Reggie White and Mike Holmgren was the coach. And it was super cool. Now, trust me, look, I have proof that I was on the Packers for three days. That was my mindset going into it. Who was the quarterback room for that mini camp? It was, it was amazing. I mean, really? I mean, so it's Andy Reed, Brett Favre, mm-hmm. Doug mm-hmm. Peterson, obviously mm-hmm. the great coach, um, David Klingler, who was on the cover of sports yep. illustrated. A picture, a cover that I had hanging in my bedroom as a kid. They had a, a quarterback from USC, Kyle Wackholz. They moved to tight end that that week that I was there. They had a quarterback that I lost to Army, forty-two-seven, Ronnie Makeda, that they drafted the year before that. They had a quarterback my year from Navy named Chris McCoy. I mean, they were over investing in the quarterback position in Green Bay. Like they had Brett Favre. And they were killing a mosquito with a sledgehammer at the quarterback position with like the rest of us. And I, it, the crazy thing is, though, I got there. And after being there for three days, I 100% believed and knew that I could make that team. Like, I wow. knew it. I got there. And I, when I left there, I was like, I can absolutely do this. Um, what made so you think that, that? I mean, this is, this is huge. Well, what made you think that? Well, I remember we call this, we call this play. It's called X dagger. I'm sure you know the play. It's a seven Just step a drop. It's a, it's an 18 yard in route. And I drop back one, two, three, in fact, four, I five, think six. I threw a touchdown against the Redskins on X dagger when you got benched at halftime. <laughs> toot, toot. Okay. You, Go ahead. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped back seven step drop one hitch. I cut it loose. I throw this ball so hard, but I throw it so high. It is going to sail 10 yards over this guy's head. I I was like, oh, no, this is terrible. The receiver runs, breaks in. It's a little high. He makes it look amazing. He's just like, (laughs) catches it, no problem, keeps on running. I'm like, these dudes are amazing. My teammates (laughs) are unbelievable. Everybody's fast everybody's tall everybody's got good hands the coaching was next level i was like it, it, it in some ways the quarterback position was it was like everyone else was so good and they were kind of maybe i work too fast sometimes they were all working my speed i i thought hey i can make this team here's the best part about this story i still got cut i did not make the team <laughs> so but i believe that i could Oh my gosh! So you end, but you end up in Green Bay. We don't need to get through all the cuts, I, resign, I, 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 all that. Yeah, I, I was practice squad that first year. Okay, so yep. basically, Andy Reid was like, "Listen, you could be their fourth string quarterback on the practice squad. Can you play scout team tight end and practice every day and block Reggie White? Uh, if you can, we'll let you come to quarterback meetings." And uh, and I was like, "Heck yeah, whatever I got to do." And that was my first year in Green Bay. So you end up playing how many? Three years. I was there for three years. So one year in the practice squad is the fourth yep. string quarterback. And then the next two years, I was the number two quarterback backing up Brett Favre for two new head coaches. So a new head coach every year in Green Bay. And you got a ton of preseason reps. And really, you were one of the first guys that earned a starting job through the preseason and your prowess in the preseason, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think it was part of uh, part of it was preseason. Part of it was that Brett Favre did not come to the off season either. So I was getting a ton yeah. of reps. I was running with the ones in the off season because Brett Favre would only show up for like sort of the mandatory mini camp type thing. So mm-hmm. if our starters wanted to catch balls, I was the guy. I was also losing my hair so bad at the time that even though I was a second year player, when my teammates like Donald Driver and all these young guys would get drafted, they would look at me and think. 
oh, he must be a veteran because he looks like he's 40 years old, even though I was 23 years old. <laughs> but it was a good, it was a, it was a great opportunity for me to obviously watch Brett, you know, great coaching staffs in Green Bay with good football teams. But I had only thrown 29 passes before I got traded to Seattle. I'll jump in there. So Matthew gets Mike Holmgren goes to Seattle. He's trying to get his quarterback situation figured out. He trades for Matthew. This is the same year that we win a Super Bowl in Baltimore. Baltimore chooses to not re-sign me as a free agent. I'm going, I'm kind of devastated. So I'm kind of looking around. I'm talking to the Rams to back up Kurt Warner. Uh, I'm talking to a couple other teams and the Seahawks reach out and tell me about their situation. Hey, we love this kid, Hasselback. We just traded for him. Uh, he looks like he's going to be our starter, but you got a chance to come in here and compete and do your thing. So I jump at the opportunity. Now, again, I don't know Matthew from Adam at the time. I don't even watch preseason football. I'm too busy playing in my own games. I don't even know who the backup of Green Bay is. You were too busy uh, playing in your own Super Bowl. I get it. it, it exactly. So <laughs> we show up and I, and I, and Matthew and I have talked about all this. I think it'll be interesting for the the audience. Like, you're a young kid. You have 29 throws in the NFL. You just get traded. And then after you've been, I think you'd already gone through one mini camp because I think it was the second mini camp that I came to, if I, if I remember correctly. All of a sudden, they just signed as a free agent. The guy just won the Super Bowl. It was not a comfortable situation in Seattle between Matthew and I. And Brock Heward was there at the time, Josh Booty. Uh, and I can understand why. Tell tell the audience a little bit what you thought when I rolled into town after you had been traded there and kind of were the heir apparent. Yeah, listen, it was it was a lot of awkwardness in that quarterback room. Um, but it was awesome. But it was awkward at first. So Jim Zorn's the quarterback coach. Brock Heward was the starter the, the year before with John Kitna. I mean, he was the starter, local kid, high round pick. It was his team, probably hard on him too. I signed there. They're like, oh, hey, you're the guy, you're the guy, you're the guy. They draft uh, Josh Booty, who had just won a World Series playing professional baseball, then said, ah, I want to play in the NFL. So he goes to LSU to play for Nick Saban and gets drafted. And he's their, like, Cajun gunslinger, their next Brett Favre. And, you know, so the quarterback room, we felt like was pretty good. We had another guy that we liked a lot. Well, that guy got cut because we signed the guy that just won the Super Bowl. And, you know, we, instead of being, like, really happy for Trent to be there, I kind of took it as a slap in the face, like, oh, you guys don't believe in me. You know, like you just went out and got this guy. And then Trent, you showed up, you were like, oh man, I think you're the greatest. You know, I'm just here to support you and, you know, uh, you know, help you. And I'm, you know, I'm from Boston. I struggle trusting people. You know, I was like looking over my shoulder and I'm like, who is this guy kidding? He just won the Super Bowl. He just looked around the league after he, you know, his team didn't sign him back. He looked around the league and he's like, all right, who's literally the worst starting quarterback in the NFL? That guy. I'm going to go compete with him. <laughs> so true or not, that's how I felt. And so, you know, Brock was probably feeling his kind of way. I'm feeling my kind of way. Josh Booty's over there older than me, probably like, Man, I just won the World Series. I played at LSU. Like I'm better than all y'all. You know, it was like that kind of an atmosphere. Um, so it was it was definitely not like, oh, let's all go hang out and talk about our feelings. It wasn't that. It was very competitive. Yeah, it wasn't kumbaya at all. I mean, we I've talked publicly about it a lot. And I don't know if we should hijack the rest of the pod telling all the million stories we have together. But that first year I remember going home to Cass, my wife. And, you know, we, we're older than you guys and our kids were, um, you know, we're rate, we're going crazy raising our kids. And I'd go home and say, he just doesn't trust me. Like he really doesn't believe that I'm here to help him. And um, there were some hard moments and it was also very competitive, right? I mean, we were, we were all pretty talented. We're all ripping it around practice. Holmgren really, you'd get the bulk of the reps, but he was evaluating everybody all the time. And we get into the season and you, our team wasn't very good, first of all. I think that contextually you have to understand that, and Matthew said it, going from Boston College to the, to the Packers, how much easier the job was when you're super talented. And he goes to Seattle, and they were just trying to find their way, trying to break in some young receivers, trying to transition running backs from Ricky Waters to Sean Alexander. Matthew was in a tough spot. But he's not playing very well. The team's not playing very well. And they keep bringing me in, what, like every third game? 
and I think that year I go four and oh and and you uh your record wasn't quite as good. <laughs> I, I always tell this story and you tell me if this was a breakthrough moment. I remember we're in Husky Stadium and we had been through the ringer. I mean, you'd been booed, it had been tough sledding, um, everything was going crazy uh in your in life in general. And they started chanting my name. And I went over to you on the sideline and I'm like, Hey, do you hear that? And you're like, kind of looked at me funny. I said, that's because I'm standing up waving my towel, trying to get them <laughs> to be louder with it. And you kind of smirked to me like, who is this guy? And I just smiled and I said, it's going to be okay, bro. Like they threw uh, binoculars at me in Tampa. I just yeah. won the Super Bowl and they kicked me to the curb. Like this is the job. The job is hard. Yeah, I, I remember the I mean the whole stadium was like dill fur, dill fur. And instead of it being super, super awkward, and it would have been awkward had I seen you like waving the flag and being like dill fur, getting them a what I can't hear you. But that would have been awkward. No, I remember you told me a story and I believe it was like maybe you went to your maybe you went to the Pro Bowl in nineteen ninety seven or something like that. And yep. you told me a story about how you played against maybe the New York Jets that year. Basically got booed out of the stadium and then ended up going to the Pro Bowl that year. It was something like that. It and it definitely resonated with me. I definitely appreciated it. But I think the biggest learning lesson for me that season is I thought I had all the answers. Like I, I had been a backup quarterback for Brett Favre and I and been kind of in that offense and I thought I knew everything. I, I, I really had no idea. And it wasn't, you know, I got, I got kind of hurt, but I wasn't that hurt because I got benched because I was hurt. But I promise you, I wasn't that hurt. Like I could have sucked it up. But they're like, nah, why don't you just sit this one out? And you went in, and you, yeah, you went four and zero, and I probably was zero and four. And I watched the way that you ran the team, and I watched the way that you led the team, and I watched probably most of all the way that you took to coaching. Like when Mike Holmgren would yell at me, he'd say. You know, he yelled something like, I told you to get the first down. And I'd be like, well, what do you want me to do about it? You know, like something like that. And he would yell you the same thing. I told you to get the first down and be like, yes, sir. Got it. And like you understood what he meant by get the first down. Like you understood that that you translated that in your veteran intelligent brain. Hey, second and one, he doesn't want to take a shot. He just wants to get the first down. You know, and me, I was so defensive and insecure at the time. Uh, he would yell this other thing. He would say, tempo, tempo, tempo. And mm -hmm. I literally that? was like, yeah, 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 thing. yeah. I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. I didn't even know what tempo meant. And I was yep. too arrogant and not humble enough to even ask, like, what does that even mean, tempo? I thought that just meant, like, jog in and out of the huddle. Like, I wasn't really even sure what it meant. And uh, anyway, I watched you be coachable while I was not coachable. And you played so much better than I was playing. And honestly – you were, you became the starter and it wasn't until, you know, there's stuff that happened in the middle, but it wasn't until maybe almost a year later when you tore your Achilles that I went back in the game, but I decided eventually decided, Hey, listen, you may or may not ever get another opportunity here in Seattle, but if you do be ready this time, because the first time around I was not ready. Like I, I had things to work on. And, uh, you know, didn't know if the time would ever come. And sure enough, in the game that Emmett Smith breaks the NFL rushing record, you tear your Achilles. To your credit, you took a few more steps just to complete a pass with a torn Achilles. But, uh, but I went into that game and, and essentially never came back out, essentially. But, uh, but that was a tough, tough way to learn the lesson. As we're recording this today, the anniversary that was yesterday, I was reading, I was going through Instagram yesterday and I saw that it was the anniversary of that game where I tore my Achilles and it breaks the rushing record, which obviously was the headliner. Uh, and you're right. You never look back. Um, I always sum it up this way. Cause we, we, again, everybody, we could talk for five hours about our stories together. I always sum it up this way. I felt like I was called to Seattle to serve Matt. Uh, I ended up playing. I get hurt and I feel like God called Matt to serve our family. And I'll give you a quick little vignette. I'll brag on Matthew. Then we'll move on. Uh, I've shared this before in 2003, uh, we lose our son, Trevin, and it was in the off season. Matthew had finished that year in 2002. It had really shown signs that he was going to be the guy in Seattle. Uh, I was obviously my career at that point was in question. 
Well, that offseason, we lose our son, Trevin. Matthew plays a key point in getting me back into the fold of the team and out of depression and uh, really loved Matthew and Sarah, as well as other Seahawks and their families, really loved on us well to get us up back up to Seattle and pull us out of the funk. Well, we're going to training camp, and you got to contextually understand this. Matthew's getting ready to go through the biggest training camp of his career. Like, he is now the guy. He's established that he's going to be the starter. Trent's not in the picture. We're pretty talented. We're getting to the point now in Seattle where you can see that we're going to be pretty good. And I'm depressed. I'm going to bed every night crying myself to sleep. And we have these dorm rooms next to each other in, in Cheney, Washington. And Matthew is on the, the dorm room next to me. And when he should be getting sleep, studying his playbook, getting ready for practice the next day, every night as I was, I couldn't sleep, he would hear me and he would knock on the door and come over and he'd bring Sega Genesis. And we play, was it NHL 95? Is that the game? Yes. Yes, it is. We're dating ourselves, but yes, it is. I know. He would bring in NHL 95 and he would just whoop up on me. I mean, destroy <laughs> me. And I thought I was pretty good until I played Matthew. Uh, whoop up on me and just keep me, keep my mind off of my depression. And it hit me. I don't think it hit me at that moment. I was just appreciative of a friend, but it hit me during that season that in the midst of him should have been totally selfish about getting ready to play his best football in his biggest training camp. His greatest focus was serving me, loving on me as a great friend, rallying my teammates around me all the time. And I'll tell you what, I, people always ask me my career or my two favorite years. And this sounds weird, but my favorite year was that season. Um, I, I didn't play. I don't think I, I hardly played at all. You played great. Um, but it was my favorite season because of just the support we felt from, from you all and, and the rest of the team. And so I always like bragging you on that story. Uh, I do think you learned something because you ended up going and becoming a mentor, right? You still had a lot of great years. I want to kind of fast forward through all that stuff. People can look up Wikipedia and see your stats and all that stuff. You played great in Seattle. Um, you go to Indianapolis, you play really well, you get banged up a little bit, but you really became a mentor uh, to Andrew Luck. Talk, talk to me about kind of that little period of time, that season of your career, when you're able to pay it forward to Andrew. Yeah, listen, I'll just say this quickly about, you know, what you just shared, and, and I'm appreciative of it. But one of the reasons that I was so skeptical of you as the competing quarterback is, um, you know, I was like, is this guy for real? You know, like, why would you want to help me? And like, you know, your faith was a huge part of your life and you and Cass. But like, I just think I'd just been burned and been around people whose faith was, uh, I don't know, like not as real. You know, they didn't live it out necessarily. And seeing the way that you guys, it's almost like your faith got stronger when you went through the tragedy um, with Trevin. And that spoke, that was like the strongest faith witness that I've ever experienced in my entire life and our team as well. And so, you know, essentially that it wasn't, it was an inspiring time for, I think all of us, even though it was such a difficult time and, and still is in many ways. But um, when I left Seattle to answer your question, by that time, I was so appreciative of all the different quarterbacks, even going back to the Doug Petersons and the Rick Myers mm -hmm. early in my years in Green Bay, Brett Favre, the guys that didn't have to help me, but did help me. And then my experience in Seattle with uh, with you, for sure, the guy that we were competing with, the, the guy that literally the stadium is chanting, Dill for Dill for you're helping me. Uh, similar with Brock Heward, he was the guy that was the starter. There were more Heward jerseys in the stands than there were Hasselbeck jerseys when I yep. got there and he was helping, you know? So anyway, when I leave Seattle, there had been younger players on, on that road in Seattle that maybe never got the chance to start, but I have a tremendous amount of pride in the success successes that they've had, the Seneca Wallaces and guys like that. Mm -hmm. But when I go to, I actually went to the Tennessee Titans from Seattle and it was this weird time when the lockout, uh, the NFL lockout was was going on. So the draft happened and then free agency. So I chose to go to the Tennessee Titans, even though they had just picked Jake Locker as the eighth pick overall in the draft. And long story short about Tennessee, I get there and there's two young quarterbacks, Jake Locker and Rusty Smith. And they're the two young quarterbacks in the locker room. And I, I got to just tell you, that was 
so much fun being their teammate. I loved those guys. Still love those guys. I feel like they taught me as much as I taught them. I had a blast. And that first year, I was the starter. I started every game. I had probably the best statistical year of my entire career. It was so much fun. That second year, they made the decision to make Jake Locker the starter. And I was his backup, kind of in a mentor role. And while while it was very, very difficult, I remember the great stuff that you had done for me, Trent. You know, the bottles of wine for every touchdown pass that I would throw. Like all these different <laughs> fun, exciting things that you'll remember for 30 years longer yeah. than you'll remember actually throwing a touchdown pass. So I like that so much. So when then, I ha- then when I had the opportunity to leave Tennessee and go somewhere else to be the starter again or to back up somebody and sort of pay it forward and invest in somebody – I valued the opportunity to be the veteran backup to a young, talented quarterback in Andrew Luck, someone who I had a ton of respect for from afar, but didn't really know him. But I knew what that organization was about, how they were committed to winning the the tradition and the history of that organization, and then also Andrew Luck. And so for three years, I was Andrew Luck's backup. And it was a tremendous experience. I never, ever wanted to leave Seattle. I never wanted to leave Nashville. But I can't even imagine my life or my family's life had we not had those three years in Indianapolis because they were really rewarding. And um, even as a 40-year-old backup turned starting quarterback at the end of my time there, I was learning so much. Uh, I was learning football. I was learning about life. And I was learning really, again, how to be a great teammate. That's incredible. I mean, you just summed up the reason for the show, just filling people in on the journey. The journey is so much more than what gets talked about on your show, Countdown, on the other shows. That stuff's important. Um, but I want people to get to know these these great quarterbacks like yourself and all they learn from their journeys. And let's not forget, I, I want to put a bow on this, but let's not forget, Matthew is one of the greatest Seahawks ever. And just recently, a few nights ago, he was inducted into the Ring of Honor. Uh, it was an awesome ceremony, um, so well-deserving. The city of Seattle um, could not have been happier. I brag all the time uh, on Matthew. Got to see it up close, watch him really be the reason, one of the major reasons that franchise turned around. Matthew, just real quick, talk to me about what an honor that was the other night. Listen, it was an incredible honor. And I think because it wasn't such a smooth journey, it wasn't such a smooth road all the time, um, I think it made it that much more special seeing the success. You know, my I said this in my speech the other night. You know, I don't look at the Ring of Honor for me as an individual award. You know, yeah, it's my name that's going up there. It's my name you'll see. But I know that none of it would have been possible without the teammates that helped me get there. And, and not just teammates, but just the quarterback's rooms that I was in. Like, I would not have ever been the quarterback that I became without you guys, no doubt. Receivers, Daryl Jackson, Bobby Ingram, mm-hmm. running backs, oh, Max yeah. Strong, Sean Alexander, literally mm-hmm. one of the best offensive lines that's ever been assembled. Ever. You know, we talk about yeah. the two Hall of Famers. We had a center named Robbie Toback from Washington State, undersized, probably not dominating the combine, except maybe the bench press, but seriously one of the greatest leaders, great football player, that I've ever yep. been around. Chris Gray, my roommate on the road from Auburn, Alabama. Yep. Just, you want to talk about the most underrated player you've ever been around. It's just, just so many great um, teammates that I had. And so again, I, it just was, wasn't an individual award. And then the sacrifice of your family too. You know, like our relationship, Trent, you mentioned that, you know, it was contentious, two quarterbacks competing with each other. This is kind of how I see it. Our wives made a decision that unity on our football team was very important. And our wives decided, hey, we are going to be good friends. And we're not going to be like other teams where the quarterback is split, so the team is split. And so our wives became very good friends. And I think like many relationships, when your wife, the wives are friends, like the husband's like, hey, man, I guess we got to figure this out, <laughs> like no matter what. And, you know, sometimes that comes naturally. Sometimes it takes a little bit of work. But either way, I just think that the unity part of it in terms of leading, it's very easy to talk trash behind the back of the person that you're competing with or roll your eyes when they do so, you know, or root against them or stuff like that. That just 
that really wasn't how it ended up being for us in Seattle. And I think the wives, um, both competitive college athletes in their own right, you know, um, I think they had a lot to do with that as well. Well, you're getting good at this TV thing because you segued yourself into my final thing. And I want to talk about the most important team in your life, your family. I want to start with Don and Betsy, your parents, because I do call myself the fourth Hasselback son. Um, there's Matthew, there's Tim Nathaniel, and I've kind of butted my way in there. And I consider Don and Betsy like surrogate parents. Um, but Sarah, your wife, uh, for those of you who don't know, the best athlete in the family, um, Hall of Famer at Boston College, field hockey. Um, incredible, incredible work ethic, incredible mom, incredible wife. And as Matthew mentioned, incredible friend to my wife, Cass, uh, Annabelle, Mallory, and Henry. How awesome has it been to watch their journeys? All three are superstars. Annabelle won a national championship last year at Boston College as a uh, lacrosse player. Mallory is the top recruit in the country coming out of high school as a lacrosse player. She's going to play with her sister, Annabelle. Uh, in, in college. And then Henry, who I had the joy of coaching his freshman year, uh, is a superior athlete to you, Matthew. He reminds me of a taller Tim. He's super <laughs> twitchy. He's super strong. Um, he's going to be a great lacrosse or football player. Just finish this episode by bragging on your family and how much they've meant to you on this journey and how much joy you've had now um, being a TV star, but then being how to have the freedom to go watch them chase their dreams in, in athletics. Yeah, it's super awesome, and I'm super proud of them, and you know, sports are so important to them, and they're important to me also, but I, I really have tried to use the lessons in sports to uh, help parent them, and you know, one of those lessons is like sort of your value isn't in how you perform uh, as a player necessarily, um, and so I, I'm very, you know, while those accolades are super great, like my love for them doesn't depend on that at all. I just want them to do the best that they can do with their God-given ability and make sure that they maximize that. Make sure that they don't don't waste the blessing that's been given to them. That's essentially it. But beyond that, like I think there's so many great things for me as a parent with that I see, you know, it's real easy to criticize coaches. It's real easy to blame referees and officials. And it's it's easy to do that as an athlete. It's it's probably even easier to do that as a as a parent. And so I've tried to, as best I can, lead by example in that in that way, my wife and I in that way, where I think it's helped me that my girls are playing women's lacrosse, a sport I didn't grow up knowing about, a sport I didn't know, know, I still don't know that much about. And so me as a parent, I clap, I cheer, like I'm the best cheerleader. Like when they're in a game and their coach is coaching them, their coach is the coach. I am not the coach. Do not look over here for coaching. Look over there to your coach for coaching. And it's easier for me because I don't know anything about that. Uh, I don't know anything about like the referee. I really don't even know the rules. So like some parents are like, ah, oh, that's a charge. I don't even know what the rules are for a charge in women's lacrosse. You would think I would know it by now. But I think those lessons are really good when they carry over to sports I do know about. And, and so I don't know. I, I heard this quote recently by um, Tony Evans, who I believe – is or was the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. And I hope I don't screw this up, but it's something like your home is a training camp for the future families that your children will one day, one day have. And I really tried to, I really, I, it was kind of, um, I guess it just underscored the value and the importance of, of basically how you run your house with your kids. And, you know, is it going to be acceptable to jump in the car after a game and criticize the refs? or blame the person that's playing ahead of you on the depth chart or complain about the coaching staff. And while that stuff is easy to do, no, it is not acceptable. And like, that's just sort of the culture that we want to set in the locker rooms that we were on and then on every NFL team. But it's also even way more important, the culture that you want to set in your house. And um, you know, and that goes for sports or someday in your career, if it's not sports. And so I'm super, super proud of my kids and nothing made me happier um, Monday night going into the ring of honor, then seeing how much it meant to my children who were all born in Seattle, as happy as I was, it gave me so much joy to see their joy. And, um, so it's a, it's a, it's a huge, like being a quarterback in the NFL, super awesome, right? Dream come true. I can promise you it is not as cool of a job as being their dad. It is, it, it might sound unbelievable, 
promise you that is true. And so uh, luckily I got to do both, but it was, uh, it's really cool to, to be there, dad. And I'm super, super proud. Amen, brother. Well, this is an incredible episode. Thank you for doing it. I love you. You know that. Um, I Something hit my brain, though. I'm going to have you back on. I'm going to have Alex back on. I think I'm going to do this with every quarterback I played with. I just thought of a great episode, training camp stories. Like okay. we could talk about <laughs> trucker hats and deer <laughs> urine spray and billboards <laughs> and shirtless photo shoots. <laughs> Like the, the, the me, you episode, I mean, we might just do a me, you, a me and you training camp story episode. And we're going to oh. do this. The producers are listening. We're definitely going to do this, but thank <laughs> you so much, Matthew. Appreciate your time. And uh, again, love you. Appreciate your friendship. Enjoy it, Trent. Thank you. See you, brother. Well, a huge thanks to Matthew Hasselbeck. I told you, you wouldn't be disappointed. What an incredible guy. And a big thanks to our friends at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today.